Hey, everybody. I'm here in the studio with Brad Stroop. Hey, everybody. And excited. We had such a fabulous weekend together. And uh, Brad came out, just to give a little introduction, he came out with his friend Andy. And we've been learning a lot about the House of Prayer. I hope learning. <laughs> it's been incredible. Yesterday was jam-packed with just incredible, incredible truths from the Word of God about what God has planned for his people in the last days for the house of prayer. Yeah, it's awesome. And so I just thought, wow, this would be a, a, such an opportunity just to get him in the studio this morning and just have him share his heart. And, but I just, I, I loved everything, but the story of you going to Africa as a young man, I just, that was just over the top. <laughs> it is over the top. <laughs> Try living it. Right. <laughs> so I, I, our listeners, I know would just love to hear, hear Absolutely. your story. Sure. Well, I'll even do that and then tie it into this whole house of prayer thing. Yeah. Is that good? That'd be great. So uh, I was, uh, I grew up in an um, uh, unbelieving household. And so um, the, the concept of who Jesus was, was brand new to me. And uh, I was actually living as an atheist um, and I had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I felt the presence of the Lord. Like 18, the room. Right. 18 years old. That's right. And uh, presence of the Lord fell in the room and filled me with joy, and I instantly knew God was real. I had this powerful encounter. Something you weren't expecting. Oh my gosh, no! <laughs> Last thing I was expecting. Atheists don't expect to encounter a God they don't believe in, right? And so, uh, anyway, needless to say, I was no longer an atheist, mm. and I uh, gave my life to Jesus in the coming weeks because I became a seeker of the truth, and and uh, I gave my life to the Lord. And right after I gave my life to the Lord, He started talking to me about going to Africa and being a missionary to Muslims. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And so I started to pray about it and say, well, you know, Lord, you know, where am I going? Who am I going with? What mission organization? You know, what do I need to do to get ready? What am I going to do when I get there? And I kept getting the worst answers ever. I heard the Holy Spirit every time I prayed say, you're going by yourself. Don't go with the missions organization. I'll show you what you're going to do when you get there. Don't take anything with you. You won't know a soul until you land on the continent. I'm like, Lord, they're like organizations that know how to do this. We, I mean, this seems like a really reckless plan, and it totally was. But uh, I prayed about it every day and for three years. Uh, and I'm telling you, for three years, the Lord just kept confirming and reaffirming again and again that reckless call. Mm. And so the finally, uh, the, the day came when uh, it was no longer you're going to go, but it was time to go. And so I, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit, like, it's time, book a plane ticket. And the Lord worked out details for me to be able to get over there. And I literally got on a plane at 23 uh, with no money, no plan. I didn't know a soul on the continent of Africa. I didn't know what I was going to do when I landed. I didn't know anybody there. I, did, I had nothing. And I remember uh, getting off the plane at 2.30 in the morning after multiple flights and not being able to communicate with anybody. And and I, I look up at the moon and we're, we're getting off down onto the tarmac and then walking on the dirt to get to the, the little hangar that's off in the distance. And I'm thinking, where am I? I look up at the Lord and I go, if you're not real, I'm a dead man. <laughs> it's like, you, this is really important that this is all really a, a real deal and not a joke. And so um, I wind up, uh, there's no hangar right there. There's no airport at the, where we land. We've got to walk a, a little distance. And we get into this hangar that's off uh, out in the way and um, people are, you know, going through customs and trying to get their bags and stuff. I have no bags. I've just got my little backpack with a stick of deodorant in it, the extra <laughs> pair of shorts. Like I snuck those in. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm praying. I go, Lord, I'm so tired. I've been on how many flights? Uh, just it's been days of travel. 
I said, can we start this whole mission trip thing tomorrow? I just need to go to sleep. I'm so tired. <laughs> and right then, this guy walks up to me, and he knows just broken English, and he says, you need taxi? You need hotel? I said, well, yes. <laughs> I said, but I have no money. He says, you have no money? I said, no money. He said, you come to Africa and you have no money? <laughs> I go, yeah, I know, right? And he, he goes, this is not possible. And, and I said, well, it's real. So we went back and forth a little bit. And finally he said, you need taxi? I said, yeah. You need hotel? Yeah. I said, I have no money. He says, no problem. You come. I said, you're sure? He said, yep, you come. So I pray and I say, Lord, what do I do? And I feel like the Holy Spirit says, go with him. Well, what I don't realize in this moment, I find it out in the coming maybe two weeks, um, but what I don't realize is at this very moment, I am actually being abducted by a crime syndicate. <laughs> and so uh, there's this, uh, this crime boss and his, uh, his thing is to post his henchmen at all the major ports <clears throat> and they look for white American tourists in order to take advantage of and do one of five bad things with. Mm. Uh, there's nothing good on the list. It's all bad, bad or worse. <laughs> and, uh, and I am actually falling into the, the trap, I mean perfectly falling into the trap here, with the exception of paying the taxi fare. Uh, and, uh, and so I get into the car with this guy, um, not knowing any of that, and we're driving, and we're, it's maybe 45 minutes, and we're out in the Sahara Desert, and there's just, there's nothing and nothing, and, and uh, we, we keep going, and we wind up uh, probably about an hour out, sand dunes. I mean, I'm talking Sahara Desert, like what you've seen in, you know, in National Geographic kind of stuff. And we show up at this little mud hut village out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's an hour since I've seen anything. No lights, no buildings. Little mud hut village, you know, maybe five, six mud huts. And I'm like, this is the worst hotel ever. <laughs> and this guy outside, under the sky, you know, under the, under the moon, he rolls out this paper uh, thin mat, this hay, straw hay mat. And he points at it and he says, hotel. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm so tired, I don't even care. I'll deal with you tomorrow. What about the part of the story where, where he said, get out? Well, I mean, so I was, I was working on brevity, but okay, I'll, okay. I'll go back. I'll go. <laughs> so on the way there, it's about the 45 minute mark. The two guys in the front seat start arguing. And uh, this dude that had uh, asked, do you need a taxi, do you need a hotel? Um, he's not the taxi driver. He's hired out a taxi. So the taxi driver and him are arguing because this taxi driver is like, I've been driving for 45 minutes out in the desert. And uh, the guy looks around and he says, the taxi driver, he said he want uh, money now. <laughs> and I said, I told you I have no money. And you were all, no problem, no problem. And, and so, uh, so he goes, he goes, huh. And then he starts getting back and they're arguing. And it's blah, 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 blah. all of a sudden the taxi stops out in the middle of the Sahara <laughs> Desert. The taxi driver gets out of his car. He opens my car door, flings it open, starts pointing at me and saying stuff to me. You know, oh, no, no, no. get out of my car, in essence. And I am freaked out of my mind. I'm thinking, I'm going to die in the Sahara Desert. I haven't even met anybody yet. You like, can't see anything, probably. No, it's just, it's just <laughs> dunes. It's sand forever. I'm thinking, what 23-year-old does this? And, uh, I'm freaked out, I don't know what I'm about to say, but all of a sudden I watch my finger fly past my face and it's was, it was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the word says that you don't need to prepare yourself, you don't need to worry what you'll say right. when you're brought before the magistrates, that the Holy Spirit will empower you. Well, apparently it works for taxi drivers too, it's not just magistrates. <laughs> I see my finger fly past my face and I point at him and this is totally not me, I'm like outside of myself watching this scene happen. And I say, in the name of Jesus, you get back in that car. I'm not giving you one dime, and we're going wherever we were going before. 
And as soon as I do, it's like power came out of my finger and struck this dude's face because his countenance went from, you know, angry to just completely dropped. <laughs> he closes the door like a robot, gets in the car and starts driving. And I'm in the backseat going, oh, you're real. I'm not going to die. <laughs> and so I got a tip off that, you know, Lord's with me. This is going to work. Mm. So now let's fast forward back over to the hotel, uh, you know, where I'm on this mat under the stars. I wake up the next morning and this big dude shows up and uh, his name's Cardair. And Carder shows up, and apparently Carder's the crime lord, and I'm at one of the way stations. They've got places kind of strategically positioned way outside of town all over to interview last night's catch. Mm. You know, how many white dudes from America did we get that we, now we can exploit or hold hostage or whatever? Mm. And <laughs> so uh, I don't realize I'm being interviewed, but this big guy now, he knows good English, like perfect English. He can speak English. It's the first conversation I've been able to really legitimately have in a few days. I'm an extrovert, man. I want to talk. <laughs> and so he's like, you know, why are you here? And I said, I'm here to preach the gospel and get you saved. <laughs> and he goes, you'll not give me your Jesus. I'm big man in Mali. I'm Muslim. And I go, I go well, you asked why I'm here. <laughs> he said, well, who do you know? I said, well, nobody. I go, well, I know you now. He says, you come to Africa and you know no one? And I said, yeah. He said, this is not possible. I said, you know, I've been hearing that a lot lately. <laughs> and, um, and so he's a... Uh, Anyway, he's interviewing me, and I'm giving him the most bizarre answers to the questions. He's probably asked these questions 200 times or 1,000 times. Right. He's never heard these answers before. I'm here. I know no one. I have no money. <laughs> I'm a dummy. Hi. I'm here to give you Jesus. I mean, these are just answers he's not used to. Well, the Holy Spirit moves on this guy, mm. and uh, the Word of God says that the, the Lord has the capacity to allow us to curry favor with a ruler mm. in order to be able to accomplish the purposes of the Lord. And so uh, in the most bizarre, I mean, it's a miracle. I, I, I kind of downplay it because I don't even know how to talk about it, but it was a miracle. This guy falls in like with me mm. in about 20 minutes. And by the end of the conversation, instead of trying to figure out what terrible thing to do with me, he says, I make you big man in Mali. I help you <laughs> preach in other places. You come, you live with me. And I'm like, live with you? And I'm thinking, I'm out in the desert right now. <laughs> My choices are pretty limited, but I pray and I go, Lord, what do I do? This guy's asking me to come live with him. And I heard the Holy Spirit say two things so clear. First thing, this guy is bad news. And I kind of trembled in my spirit like, oh, <laughs> the second thing, go live with him. I was like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And so anyway, I wind up coming back and living with this guy. He brings me back into the city. I find out at this point, it's a big city. The city of Bamako, Mali, it's the capital city. Is maybe about 3 million people in the area. He lives in, a, in the most far eastern suburb. He's got a sizable compound, um, you know, two, three, I guess it's a three-story, uh, you know, uh, house or compound with a big courtyard in the middle. And he's got control of that whole thing. His henchmen live there and there's all sorts of things going on. And, and uh, they, he brings me back and all the guys are looking at me like, what in the world? The master brought home a pet. Like, <laughs> don't we normally do bad things to the white dudes from America? Why are you bringing this guy into our house? It was so bizarre. Huh. Well, the one thing that's the most beautiful part about this, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing. Right. And there's, there's no mistakes. If we just learn to follow him and go where the lamb goes, uh, we will wind up right where we're supposed to be, good or bad. Right. Well, this house... This, uh, I'm in the country of Mali there. Uh, it's a French-speaking country. I don't know French. But only the educated class speaks French, which is probably, I don't know, maybe 20% of the population. Most everybody speaks the native language, the native dialect of uh, Bambara. 
I also don't know Bambara, by the way, if you can imagine. <laughs> and so I don't have the way to communicate with anybody in this whole country that I'm there to minister the gospel to. There's one little detail, though. This hench or this crime lord, for his henchmen to be worth anything to him, they have to be able to know at least a few words of English to get a white guy from America into a taxi. Mm. So all of them know at least a little bit of English to communicate at least a little bit. I found myself probably in the only place in the whole country I can actually minister. Wow. Because they all know a little bit of English. So I'm talking with all of them. And the Lord, one by one, they start giving their lives to Jesus. Not the crime Lord, but his henchmen. <laughs> and I start having the wildest conversations and seeing the Lord do crazy things. And I start discipling some of these guys inside the crime Lord's house. And uh, the story just gets crazier from there. It just the crazy things that start doing outdoor preaching crusades and seeing people get their lives to the Lord, people get healed and, and eventually church churches get planted. It was the craziest thing imaginable for a 23 year old. And all of a sudden it's making sense why you couldn't go with a missions organization. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you would have never ended up. <laughs> what missions that? organization would have ever gotten me into that guy's house, right? <laughs> only the Holy spirit. He's the only missions organization on the planet that can get right. you into a crime Lord's house. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> You know, these guys, they've given their lives to the Lord, and, and uh, it's just incredible to watch the, their countenance change, and, mm. and they're, they're just hungry for Jesus. And, and so I don't have time to give all the story, but the most miraculous things started occurring just in their lives and even in the fruit of their ministry mm. uh, over the course of time. And I'm only there for about three months, and I hear the Holy Spirit um, just subtly start nudging me. Now, remember, I'd prayed for three years to come. Mm. And when I came, I sold everything and thought I'm a lifer. I thought I'm, I'm going to die in the mission field. Wow. And so I, told, I kissed my mom goodbye like I'll never see her again. Wow. And so I'm here at the three-month point, and I start feeling these subtle nudges. It's time to go back. And I was like, go back? Are you serious? I'm out here doing Acts 29. Like, about, I am living the dream here, right. you know? And, and so I... Uh, it almost makes life in America seem boring. It made life in America seem like the lamest thing ever. I was like, Lord, please don't doom me back to the prison called America. Of course, I've uh, changed my tune now, but as a wild 23-year-old. Um, so, so anyway, uh, I'm praying about it, and I said, Lord, of course my answer is yes. If you're, if you're really in this, but also I don't want to knee-jerk respond because I took three years to get here. I don't want to just have a pizza dream and then think I'm supposed to come back. I said, so Lord, if, you, if you'll speak anyway, but if you'd be so kind, would you give somebody in America a dream about me coming home early mm. and let everything in the dream be the color red if I'm supposed to come home now? Huh. And if I'm supposed to come home a little later, I've got it. I, I'm supposed to come home, but it's three months, six months, a year from now. Then would you give somebody in America a dream and let everything be blue? And I journaled it. And I said, you don't have to do this. This is an ultimatum. I just said, if you'll do this, I'll know that I know that I know. Right. A week later, I get an email. There was a little internet cafe that was walking distance from this crime lord's house. And... Um, uh, I go to this internet cafe and I get an email from one of my old uh, youth uh, ministry students. I'd been a youth minister previously. And in the email, she says, Brad, I had a dream. She said, I know some people's dreams mean stuff. Mine never do. But anyway, it's a real short dream about you coming home early from Africa. And everything in the dream was the color red. The walls were red. Your shirt was red. Everything was red. Does that mean something? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm having a breakdown there in the cafe. I'm like, only that God listens to man. I'm like, I can't believe you just answered that prayer. I asked for the most random thing ever, and you did exactly what I asked. This is crazy. Wow. So I knew with great certainty I was supposed to come back to America, mm. but I had no idea why. Mm. And I thought, Lord, 
why would you call me off the mission field? I'm like frontline tip of the spear missions. Right. In a crime lord. I mean, just so why would you do that if the next assignment wasn't more important than the current one? Right. And I that settled in my spirit. Like I knew that was real. Mm. Arranged details, came home, and uh, after a season of time of trying to figure out what the Lord's doing, and I was trying to get back in the mission field actively. I was now a little bit outside of obedience. I'm talking to missions organizations and just seeing what, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how can I get back out there. I wouldn't have taken a step, but I was definitely looking for any option. And uh, I'm sitting on my couch one day, and I have the most powerful encounter I've ever had with the Lord. And uh, a very another, another one of those very unexpected moments sitting on a couch reading a book and presence of the Lord fills the room. And I find myself under the power of God on the, on the floor. I can't get up. Mm. And I, I know he's about to speak. And all of a sudden, just this inner audible, it wasn't outside. I'm sure no one else would have heard it, but I don't know that it had it been audible, that it would have been any louder to me. Uh. It was loud in my spirit. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say so clearly, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. Mm. And I'm like, I'm a missions guy <laughs> and a night owl. <laughs> I'm like 5 a.m. prayer daily, every day till you come back. What does that even mean? Tomorrow, we're supposed to, I'm supposed to start a day. I've been waiting for my assignment. Like now go to South America, you know, go to Asia. I'm like, I'm supposed to go to my living room. Tomorrow morning, I'm supposed to start a prayer meeting, but it kept resounding in my spirit. Start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. Start a daily. I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, okay, okay. I'm just curious, your normal wake-up time was? What, eight? <laughs> okay, so this 11.30 if I can help it? <laughs> <laughs> this is radically shifting your whole schedule. This was a bad idea. <laughs> and so... Uh, but I knew it was him. I mean, and this wasn't an invitation. This wasn't, you know, my son, I'm giving you the opportunity. This was like, you were going to do this. Wow. And I knew I was hemmed in. I knew this was, and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, until you come back, I don't exactly know what that means, but I think you're telling me I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, mm. which is a very abrupt transition when you kind of think you've got a path and then the Lord hijacks it and takes you a completely different direction. So the next morning, I, I'd sent out some emails and made some phone calls to my very short, you know, sphere of influence. And uh, the next morning at 4.45 in the morning, there's 11 rowdy 20-year-olds banging on the door. Let us in. Let us in. We're here to pray. And we had our first prayer meeting. Well, that was September 13th, 2005. Wow. And to this day, we have never missed a day, not one day it's incredible. ever in 16 plus years. Wow. Quite a journey. <laughs> at least, at least quite a journey, yeah. So over these 16 years, you've learned a lot about how to lead prayer meetings, how to facilitate Tabernacle of David. Could you unpack a little bit about what that means? What, what does that look like for your community? So uh, we started with the prayer meeting at 5 a.m. We went from 5 to 6. And we were just kind of learning, how do you pray together? You know, how do you not run over each other in prayer? How do you show preference? How do we make it more enjoyable if it's possible? Let's add in some music if we can. Right. <laughs> and over the course of time, as we're praying together every day, which is a very unusual and beautiful rhythm for a group of people. Mm. If you've got any group of friends and you pray together every day, you're going to take off. I mean, you're going to, there's going to be things happening in your spirit, in your community. <clears throat> and uh, the Holy Spirit was really speaking to us 
This is supposed to be a 24-7, as in a nonstop prayer and worship reality when it grows up into its fullness. Mm. And so in my living room, we're having visions of grandeur. We're going to be a 24-7 ministry with prayer and worship all the time. And we just kind of knew that. So we were, with intentionality, we were starting to build with that in mind. Uh And so we started thinking about, well, how do you do that? How do you sustain that? This has to be enjoyable for people to be able to come and keep coming and come for long hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we added a worship component. We added a model that allowed some rhythm and some flow so that it wasn't just random I like a random prayer meeting where we just get together and we just go for it. Right. But you can't do that for 10 hours and then 10 hours the next day. And right. you, there's no way you got to have like a pattern and a flow. Right. <clears throat> and so we started to figure out what that could look like. And along the journey sometime, I don't know, maybe a, a year or so in, we really started to try to glean a little bit from the international house of prayer in Kansas city. Mm. But we didn't start it because of IHOP Kansas city. We started because right. the Lord told me start a 5am prayer meeting. Right. So in the process of time, we we started to really grow in relationship with each other. Our prayer life was really developing. We were really getting to know the Lord better. We're seeing from the scripture um, burdens that he cares about, that he reflects in the word of God, that we were then able to start praying into and go, well, if Jesus cares about this, let's care about this and start sowing into that and praying into that. And so uh, here we are at year 16. And things look very different than they did in my living room. At this point, we've got 20 hours a day of live worship. Mm. And then we intermingle prayer into every set at some level. uh, And then also have a bunch of prayer meetings that are specifically committed to a specific prayer topic, like praying for the nation of Israel or praying for revival or praying for the local churches in our area. We got a lot of different prayer topics. And along the way, we found the beauty of praying the word of God, mm-hmm. praying together, singing the word. Right. Uh, and, and there was this thing that was starting to develop because I'm a, I'm a pastor at heart. I always knew and always felt of myself as a, as a pastor at heart. Uh-huh. I was watching the people in our midst, which again, going back in time, when we started, I was 25 <clears throat> and everybody else was about 20. And so I'm the old guy, you know, at 25, the seasoned saint. And I remember... Uh, watching these 20 year olds, the byproduct of being in prayer meetings all the time, they were growing in their life in the Lord, right? They were growing in their understanding of the Bible. Mm. They were growing in convictions about what the word of God said. They were a lot of their, uh, a lot of the young believer sin issues and stuff. They were finding a way through in, in my experience, with a greater measure of ease than those that weren't living in that sort of a lifestyle of prayer commitment all the time. Right. I'm, I'm thinking of the words of Jesus, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. There's that just- is perfect. Watch and pray that you not into, that's great. And 20-year-olds are tempted like crazy. Right. You know, that's a great, that's, you're right on. That was what was happening. Yeah. And so there was a real discipleship mechanism that was happening. I, I It was shocking to me because it was totally unintentional. I was starting a prayer meeting because the Lord told me to start a prayer meeting. Little did I know this was a profound environment to pastor people in Mm. because they're spending so much time with the Lord. The Holy Spirit is actually saying to them much of what, as a pastor, you would want to say to them. Right. (laughs) It's much more personal. Way better. (laughs) (laughs) When God says it, it's infinitely better than when Brad says it. Right. Right. And so then when I'd come along and, and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or is this an area you're growing in? Uh, people would respond many times a lot easier. It would it would actually go over a lot better because they go, yeah, 
The Lord's been talking to me about that. Right. And that was a common theme I would hear regularly because you've, you're now cultivating a new culture of disciples. They're growing up in the place of prayer in their life in God. Mm-hmm. And they're in the place of prayer together. So there's a bond of them one to another, right. bond to the Holy Spirit, love for the word. Mm-hmm. I just was like, Lord, this was the greatest idea ever. I changed my mind. I like it. Good idea, God. Good idea. <laughs> so, wow. I think a lot of our listeners would be familiar with the idea of Jerusalem being made a, a, a glorious place of worship. Yeah. And could you shed a little bit of light on how the global prayer movement is going to crescendo into that reality? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Isaiah 62 tells us that the Lord is going to make Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Right. And right now, uh, if you asked any Muslim nation, uh, is Jerusalem the praise of the earth? They would, they would probably not say yes. Uh, there would be a lot of contesting uh, over Jerusalem. Right. So we've got a ton of Bible verses, not just Isaiah 62, but we've got a ton of Bible verses that tell us the future destiny of Jerusalem is 100% without a doubt God is going to make that city the most important city on the planet, and everyone will know it, recognize it, and be happy about it. Right. We're a long way from there right now. Right. <laughs> that is not reality right now. You love Jerusalem. I love Jerusalem. But there are a lot of people that don't, and there's a whole lot of people that don't think that it ought to be under Israeli control. Right. <clears throat> and uh, eventually, it's going to be under the Israeli right. control because Jesus, <laughs> who is about as Israeli as it gets, right. is going to come, and he's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Right. Well, the word also tells us that uh, end of Revelation, it says the spirit and the bride say come. Right. And that's talking about the bride of Christ across the earth, everybody that loves the Lord, mm. in unison, really in a prayer meeting. Right. I mean, they're talking to the Lord. They're saying come. That's, it's not just them walking around going come, come. They're actually crying out in unison with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Jesus, it's time for you to come back to the planet now. Come. And it says right after that, Jesus says, yes, I am coming quickly in response to that global cry. Right. So what we need, whether by the move of the Holy Spirit or by the ingenuity of man, and the ingenuity of man will never do it, by the way. Right. One way or the other, we need the planet, the church in the earth, every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. We need them in unity together in the place of prayer, Mm -hmm. crying, come, Lord Jesus, come back to the planet. Right. And when the church is in that position, he's going to come. So what the Lord is doing in this hour is he is orchestrating that. He's Mm -hmm. forming. And he does it in his beautiful way. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens in a a pocket here, a little bit there, a little bit there. But there is a spreading of this thing that uh, I like to call the global end time prayer movement. Yeah. Where the church across the earth... One congregation at a time, one leader at a time, one person, one prayer, you know, person at a time <clears throat> is awakening to this idea. Jesus is worthy of prayer and worship all the time. Let's see if we can't give him more than we gave him before. Right. Let's organize together and let's form little communities of prayer that I'm terming houses of prayer because Jesus in Matthew, uh, what was it? 21, 13, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Right. So I'm just stealing that language and saying, I think that the Lord is actually uh, changing the expression of church Mm. in the earth and that we're in the early stages of watching that unfold where he's going to actually disciple the entire church of the planet by the means of the Holy Spirit, not because somebody got on a microphone and gave an order and said, everybody now pray. 
I think the Holy Spirit is actually being uh, the worker in the midst of all the churches across the earth who is subtly changing the expression of Christianity, that we would be a praying people, that we would be a house of prayer, mm. that we would pray and worship all the time as a normal part of our expression of what it means to be a believer. Right. And for a thousand reasons, but one real big one, in order to set the stage for the global church across the earth to be in unity in the place of prayer, mm. feeling the heartbeat of the Lord. And it says at the end of Revelation that the spirit and the bride say come. So it's a timing of the Holy Spirit. It's in unison with the Holy Spirit. Right. And I believe that we're, we're moving towards a divine hour where the Spirit is going to activate the church. Mm -hmm. And we're going to know it's actually the time right now to cry come. And it actually be the time that Jesus responds. And he comes mm -hmm. back. He'll then set himself up in Jerusalem. And when Jesus is king of the earth in Jerusalem as his capital city is, as the Washington DC of the planet, <laughs> right. you know, him ruling the world from, from Jerusalem, he will make that city glorious. Just the fact that he's there will be incredible. Yeah. His presence will radiate in that city and Jerusalem will be what it was always intended to be, the praise of the entire earth. Yeah, incredible, glorious, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the passage uh, in one of the minor prophets, you're probably more familiar with than I am, but incense will rise to me from like this passage. Malachi one eleven, yeah, indicating that there's going to be this incense. And I'm thinking <laughs> of even the bowls of prayer in heaven. Yeah, there's this whole thing that's going on. Yeah, and so and you're get, you're able to witness this in a lot of different countries. Yeah, uh, it's happening. so yeah, just tell our listeners a little <laughs> bit about some of the incredible things that you're seeing uh, happening. I, it's been so fun uh, having been in this journey now since 2005, and you know I like to. I like to know what I'm doing. I like to know what I've committed to. Right. And so I've been a bit of an investigator. I, I'm not a pro, but I, I care enough. So I've been paying attention to what's happening. Our houses of prayer starting, you know, what, what's the pulse of this prayer movement thing? <clears throat> and uh, it's been fun to watch <clears throat> expressions start all over the world. And, and more than just houses of prayer, I'm going to tell you even about some movements that have started. <clears throat> I watched uh, the Baptist church movement start a thing called One Cry. Mm. And One Cry became this rally for the, the Baptist denomination in America to be all about prayer and starting prayer meetings mm. and, and a, a real shift. And it, it became a platform for people to, to really be able to lock into. And as a result, you've got people across the entire you know One Cry, uh, Baptist denomination entering in to prayer and fasting at a level that historically Baptists never have before. Wow. Uh, I started to watch these uh, solemn assemblies start where, where people would gather for a day of prayer and fasting in a stadium all across America and not even just America. I mean, the stuff going on in South America, Brazil, and the stadiums they're filling to do prayer and fasting for a whole day. Right. You're talking about tens of thousands of people, guys, 70, 80, 100,000 people in a stadium praying and fasting for a whole day. Has that ever happened? I don't think so. <laughs> How, when were there even stadiums that big? I guess the Colosseum back in right. Rome's day. But I mean, <laughs> this is just, there are, these are, these things have been happening since I've been watching. I'm mm. talking 2005, I started to see these things start happening. Right. In the midst of that, houses of prayer have been birthed all over the earth. We're talking about tens of thousands of houses of prayer that are thinking, Let's go 24-7 as soon as the Lord gives us grace. And maybe they're only going, you know, 10, 20 hours a week right now. But they're building towards it. But there's 10,000 plus 24-7 houses of prayer that are actually literally night and day 24-7 
that didn't exist in 2005. Wow. So this has just been popping up everywhere. Networks of houses of prayer that are strategizing together. Mm. How do we not only be a house of prayer, how do we plant houses of prayer? How do we see this movement expand mm. in places that it's not already? And so you've got groups of people that are strategizing that way. These are brand new conversations that, right. I mean, have not been on the agenda of the church, mm. uh, maybe ever, but certainly not in a long, long, long time. Right. <clears throat> and so you've got this movement that's exploding. And so, um, you know, I don't think we have by any means understanding of where all these houses of prayer are in the earth, mm. but I personally know of once, like I know the leaders, I've, I've sat down and talked with leaders in Israel, Egypt, Turkey, Jordan, um, Mexico. Asia, Mexico, Canada. Uh, I mean, they're all over Germany, France. Uh, there's just, uh, we've got friends in Taiwan, we've got friends in Hong Kong wow. that are building House of Prayer, uh, these expressions, and in some cases, Houses of Prayer with the intention to plant more Houses of Prayer. This is a movement that is gaining great steam and that uh, it didn't start in 2005. That was just our introduction. But since 2005, I've been paying attention and it's been exploding. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So just uh, encourage you all. I, I, my prayer is that this podcast is an encouragement to you wherever you are, if you're in the U.S., somewhere else, but to get connected to this movement because yeah. it's something that God is doing. Amen. And uh, we want to be right there with him Amen. You know, in this whole thing. So it's been such a blessing to have Brad and his friend Andy here with us this weekend. And uh, as far as our little community right here in Patterson, this is something that we're wanting to grow in. We're Amen. wanting to, you know, invite people in that are interested in this whole idea of worship and prayer in an ongoing basis. We're nowhere near 24 seven. I'm you know, like, you know, that's, that's a very high. No mark, one is bro. Right? Don't, don't fret <laughs> so, it. <laughs> but, uh, but what a, what a dream to aim for. Amen. And so, and, and I love something you said this, this past weekend was the worthiness of the lamb. He's worthy. Yeah. And, He's worthy. and when we get a real grasp of that, then just any of our sacrifices are just, it's like, it's just, yeah. it's just so worth it. <laughs> Amen. So worth it to give it all. So, so, uh, so good to be with you, uh, with you, Brad, here in the studio. Thanks for having and, me. And uh, yeah, and may you all be blessed just to pour yourselves out in worship and prayer and, uh, and be blessed today. The King is worthy. Righteous.